Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. There was a point in my life when I discovered that I was not such a good person. And this discovery was not about then having an opportunity to condemn myself. This discovery was about the realization that I definitely did not have a relationship with anyone. I did not have a relationship with the people who were in my family or friends or even my God, that I was relatively alone. And there were some good reasons as to why I was relatively alone and why I didn't have any deep relationships with anyone. And the reason was because I was the kind of person that not even I would want to have a relationship with of any kind. And so I discovered this. There was a time in my life as a result of some things that I had done that were definitely inappropriate. Through that, I discovered that I was definitely not a good person. Now, what I did in response was I went back to the synagogue. Instead of trying to find a way to be reconciled with the people who I hurt in the past, instead of trying to find a way to make amends for the things that I had done previously, I just decided to go to God probably because it's a lot easier, probably because you don't get a lot of immediate feedback, and so you can kind of ease into it a little bit, I suppose. But it was a decision that I made, and so I returned to the synagogue, because that was what I knew, that was what I understood. I felt that if I was going to become a better person, if I was going to make some decisions from that day forward, no longer being concerned about the things that I had done in the past, if I'm going to start over and just start a new life, I might as well just start there. I had grown up in the synagogue. I am Jewish, and I was associated with all the different layers of synagogues, with the Orthodox and the Conservative and the Reformed. I had exposure to all of them and various rabbis who had different perspectives concerning the law and how we should be living our lives. And so I had some experience, of course, before that. I had some reasonable exposure to the Hebrew language, and so I could read the scriptures in the language that it was written in. I may not have understood a whole lot of what I was reading, but I had that to work with. And so I returned to a synagogue, and I began a new life there. That's where I started. But it didn't take very long before I realized that if I'm going to really do this, if I'm going to really be a better person, if I'm going to really start a new life, start a new way of living, if I'm going to become the kind of person that I think I should be, then I should really get into this. I should really put in the proper effort. And if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do this right, then perhaps the thing that I need to do is become a rabbi. And so that was the decision that I made and how that decision was made. It was a decision to become a better person that motivated me to become a rabbi. And in my enthusiasm in wanting to become the best rabbi I could be, I was very devoted to learning about my God, learning about him through the scriptures and observing the rituals that had been passed down to me from generations through the rabbis who I was learning from. I definitely put in a tremendous amount of effort in the evenings after I finished working. I studied for a minimum of four hours a night 
And I did this for almost four years. That was what my life was. That was how determined I was to really become who I thought God would want me to be. And in the midst of this pursuit, what I discovered was that there were different opinions concerning who the Messiah is. And so through my studies of who the Messiah is, I came to discover that the Lord Jesus was the only one who could have possibly qualified as being the Messiah, that he was the only one who could have ever fulfilled all of the prophecies that were given through the prophets. He was the only one who qualified. Some of those prophecies were time-sensitive in the sense that they had to be fulfilled during his lifetime. They were not the kind of prophecies that could have been fulfilled later. In other words, if Jesus is not the Messiah, no one else can possibly ever be the Messiah because no one will fulfill all of the prophecies. Unless, of course, people want to just pretend that those don't exist. But I honestly don't think that that's a very honest approach to the subject. And so my discovery that Jesus was the Messiah was more of an intellectual one. It was a decision based on the argument that was presented to me and the evidence that was presented to me that resolved the argument. I wasn't really looking for forgiveness or reconciliation or anything like that. That wasn't really my motive. I just simply wanted to know the truth. But after discovering that Jesus was the Messiah, then things began to change. I discovered that the reason for his death was to forgive my sins. Now, what I was doing was I was trying to become a holy person or a righteous person because I was repenting from my sins and I was obeying the commandments of God. And so I didn't feel like I really had a need for forgiveness because I could just become more obedient. I could do it that way. That, of course, is not true, but that's what I believed. It was later, as I began to really understand what Jesus really accomplished and why he accomplished it, it was later that I began to understand that I wasn't really reducing the amount of sin in my life. I may have been impressing some people, but deep down inside, nothing was really changing in my heart. I certainly could become a better person, but not a different person, not a new person from the inside. I just simply redirected the needs that I had away from doing things that were wrong to directing my needs towards those things that I should do that are right. And that is a different kind of evil. That's called religious pride. I'm not going to try to get into that much detail right now. All I want to say is is that I discovered that I had a need for forgiveness, that it was something that was important between my God and I. Now, I was already participating in the Day of Atonement, which took place once a year, but there was one Day of Atonement that was very different from all the others, and that was the last one that I participated in. On that day, as I was standing before the congregation and I was reading from the scrolls, I had a revelation. I discovered something, more like I acknowledged something. And what I discovered and acknowledged was the fact that I was not obeying the law through what I was doing. I was certainly participating in a religious exercise, but I was not really obeying the law. The law said that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness for sins. And for the first time, I was truly confronted with that because what I was trying to do was obtain forgiveness by my confession, by my acknowledging that I had sinned and asking for forgiveness from God. That was my first exposure to confession for forgiveness. It was in the synagogue. And that this was considered to be acceptable because we didn't have the temple and so we did not want to sacrifice animals without the temple. That certainly would be worse than not sacrificing animals at all because we would be doing it in the wrong place. 
And so there was a decision that was made that we would not do that until the temple was rebuilt, and supposedly that would be acceptable to God. But it's my personal opinion that he took away the temple through its destruction in 70 AD so that we would be in this situation of realizing that we had no opportunity to obtain forgiveness outside of what Jesus did. He is the only way. But that's not what I was thinking about back then. What I was thinking about was the fact that I was deceiving myself and those around me by giving the impression that we were going to obtain forgiveness for our confession and apology and through our fasting and our asking for forgiveness from our God. And that just isn't true. That is not the case. And so I looked to the people and I said, you know, who do we think we're fooling here? I mean, it says clearly in the law that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And more correctly, in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says that it is the life in the blood that actually makes for the atonement, which, of course, is a foreshadowing of the life of God within the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that actually makes for propitiation for sins, the taking away of sins. I explained this in a message that I did on atonement and propitiation. There are two messages on that topic that I did. I'd like to encourage you to get a hold of those messages. That is atonement and propitiation, where I compare the two and show the differences between atonement in the Old Covenant, propitiation in the New Covenant. There is a big difference concerning the type of forgiveness that we truly have right now. But that was my first public confession. That was the time when I told people, you know what, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, who do we think we're fooling? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so I said, as far as I'm concerned, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And of course, there was quite an uproar. I don't think I've ever heard so many Oyaves in my life. But that was when I discovered that I could not sit on the fence anymore. I could not sit on the fence of one foot in the law and the other foot in grace, one in the Old Covenant, one in the New Covenant, I had to really make a decision, and it was the subject of forgiveness that really made the difference. And so from that day forward, I recognized that I was completely forgiven, and my entire relationship with my God totally changed. Not as if it was any different beforehand, it's just that I acknowledged that there was a reality that I was not quite in touch with, and that reality is that my God does not look at me in the midst of my sinfulness. And, of course, later I discovered that the reason why he doesn't look at me in the midst of my sinfulness is so that he can meet the deepest needs of my heart. And so I can be transformed by him meeting these needs. I can be filled, I can be fulfilled, and then I can be set free from the temptations of life, from the temptations of sin. But these are things that I discovered years later. At the point in my life when I realized that I was totally forgiven, I made the decision to really believe that fact. It changed everything about how I related to my God. I no longer asked him to forgive me. Instead, when I acknowledged that I had sinned, what I did was I thanked him for the forgiveness that I had. And that thankfulness was not a thankfulness of, thank you, I can get away with it. No, it was thank you that there is no other way It was thank you that he truly loves me and that if this is something that he is going to work with me on, I will trust that he will do that and I will let him make those decisions knowing that if anyone is going to change me, it has to be him because there is no one else who can do it, not even myself. And I will thank him that he will continue 
to be close to me. He will continue to be with me. He will continue to have a relationship with me while he is transforming me from who I once was to who I will be. So what do we do when we sin? People ask me this question a lot. What do we do when we sin? Well, you couldn't really do anything before. What makes you think you can do something now? You could deceive yourself into thinking that you were doing something before, but you weren't. You were living a lie. Now, there's nothing you can do either. There still isn't anything you can do. All you can do is be thankful. Now, when you first start living your life with thankfulness for the forgiveness that you have, it's a little bit difficult. And the reason why is because we do condemn ourselves, and you have the devil with you too, and he condemns you also concerning your sin. And it takes some time to discover that he truly does not hold these sins against us. And what I mean by time is that you may first recognize that you have sinned and that you have to trust in his forgiveness. And it may take you a couple of days to really get past this, to recognize this and to live with this, to deal with the shame, to process that and to accept the fact that he still loves you in the midst of your sinfulness. It may take a few days, but then later on, it only takes a day. And then later on, it only takes an hour. And that does not mean that you are minimizing the seriousness of sin. What that means is, is that you are trusting more. You are believing more. You are acknowledging the reality that you are sinful in the sense that you do commit sins. But your God doesn't see you that way. And the time involved in acknowledging this reality gets shorter to the point where it happens within minutes and then within seconds and then shorter than a second. And when this takes place with me, it certainly did not give me any inspiration to sin more. It had nothing to do with that at all. It had to do with living my life today and tomorrow, continuing to live, continuing to turn to him, continuing to be thankful It is all about being thankful and living in thankfulness and not being delayed by the shame and by the embarrassment and by the condemnation that you believe your God may have for you because the devil tells you that or your friends tell you that or you tell yourself that. Again, I'm not saying this to minimize the seriousness of sin. If you want to consider the seriousness of sin, I've talked about this in previous programs, that I take sin so seriously that it requires the death of God. There is no other way to deal with it. So if I'm going to really believe it, then it shouldn't take me long to get past it and then continue to live. And how do I continue to live? I continue to live by trusting and resting in the love of God. His love is always patient. He never keeps any records of wrongs. The only way that he can show me that is by having wrongs that he could have kept records of. The only way he can show me his patience is by showing me that there's a reason for him to be patient with me. This is not about condemnation, though. This is about the acknowledgement that he truly accepts me and he's with me. And so let's live our lives. Let's go forward. If I commit sin, it's because I took my eyes off of him put them on myself or somebody else, and I need them to be placed back on him so that I can be at peace and at rest in my own heart through him meeting the needs of my heart. That is the only way. But what I want you to understand is that being forgiven, resting in his forgiveness, is an experience of struggling 
with the sins that we have committed and the sins that we are going to commit. It is an experience of struggling with it, struggling with the truth that he doesn't hold our sins against us, wrestling with these issues, and experiencing the reduction in time that we spend resolving these issues between us and our God. When the time is reduced to the point where we can commit a sin and then we can continue to turn to our God very shortly afterwards for his guidance and for his instruction, for who he is and for what he has, when that time is minimized, then that expresses a measure of maturity. It expresses a measure of maturity that we can get on with our lives, that we can continue to live knowing that if we want to experience a reduction of sin, it's only going to happen when we don't want to commit it. And this is only going to happen, not when we are condemned, but when we are trusting and resting in his love for us. Because the reason why we commit sin is because we have needs. We have the need to be loved, and we have been deceived into believing that we will be loved through our commission of the sin. It's a belief in a lie. And so the maturity that we have, or the maturity that we experience, is when we can promptly turn away from the lie, even after we have temporarily believed it. It's when we can turn away and we can turn to the truth and continue to walk and live in the truth. That is one way that I can describe the maturity of a believer. There are many other ways, but in the context of forgiveness, this is something that you need to experience as you grow in the reality that you are forgiven. Being forgiven is different from constantly getting forgiveness. Being forgiven is then living your life continually with the forgiveness that you already have. This is very important to understand because I'm going to take this and then explain what it means to forgive others with the forgiveness that you have received. This is why it's so important and why I'm taking the time right now to explain forgiveness in this context. That if you are going to forgive others with the forgiveness that you have received from your God, then you're going to have to receive the forgiveness that your God truly has for you. And the kind of forgiveness that he has for you is a kind of forgiveness that no one can duplicate, no one can imitate. This is unique. This is something that only he can accomplish, that only he can give. There is no way that we can copy this or imitate this. We must receive this forgiveness from him. Because without this, we will have no true forgiveness to give others. And if we have no true forgiveness to give others, we might experience some freedom from our own personal sins because of the forgiveness that we are receiving from our God, at least to the limited extent that we understand it. We may be able to rest in his forgiveness for us. But if you cannot rest in forgiveness towards those who have harmed you, who have caused you pain and suffering, if you cannot rest in that, then you will experience another form of bondage, another opportunity not to be at peace or at rest in your own heart, because there will be no resolution to it. Now, in order to expand on the forgiveness that we have so that you can forgive others, I will also have to add that we owed our God a debt that we could not pay, that we had committed sins against him, and against his creation, against ourselves, that we have violated the intent and purpose, 
that he had when he created us. There are lots of ways of perceiving this. And the pain and the suffering and the destruction that we have caused is so severe that there is no way that we can compensate him for the loss. We owed him a debt that we could not pay, and he paid a debt that he did not owe through forgiving us. This is very important for you to remember and for you to learn to live with, because until you truly recognize your sinfulness in that context, it's going to be very difficult to truly be the recipient of the real forgiveness that he has for you, the depth of that forgiveness and the value of it, which you can hold on to that will provide you with peace and rest in a way that can only be described as divine. And so what I really want you to understand is that forgiveness is not complete until you are forgiving others with the forgiveness that you have received. Certainly, it is very important for you to understand that your God does not hold your sins against you. But it is something else to actually rest in that. It's one thing to acknowledge it from an intellectual point of view. It's something entirely different to truly embrace that for yourself. But that is not the end. That is only the beginning. The next thing you will experience is forgiving others with the forgiveness you have received. And this also is not the end. This is a completion to the forgiveness that he has given to you, where you are not living on the basis of forgiving others so that you can obtain forgiveness, but you are truly forgiving others with the forgiveness that you have received. This is only the beginning. This is truly only the beginning. There is so much more that your God has waiting for you if you will embrace this. There is so much more. There is a lot more that he will build on. So please understand... I want you to understand this and recognize this, that there are transitions in the Christian faith, that there is certainly a measure of growth that occurs through the discovery and the application of what we have received in Christ Jesus. And because of this, you need to understand that there are a lot of people, there are many people who assert themselves as Christian leaders, who have been given titles, who have been given massive resources to use, to propagate, whatever it is that they believe. But these are people who do not truly know the forgiveness of God. And so because of that, I have to say, based on what I understand about the maturity and growth of a believer, that these people are going to go nowhere in their faith. And if you follow these people, you're not going to go anywhere either. These people may be advertised as being somebody of importance. But as Paul wrote in Galatians when he spoke about James and Peter and John, people who were with Jesus throughout the entire course of his ministry here on earth. What he said about them was that they contributed nothing to his faith. And so you have to be careful. You have to be very careful with who you follow, with who you learn from. Because if a person does not know forgiveness, they will lead you nowhere. They may lead you into theological knowledge. They may lead you into religious exhibitionism. But there is a big difference between knowing about your God and truly knowing Him for who He is. And I want you to know Him. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. 
Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.